lo really lovely to see everybody. And I have to say, I, I didn't have any breakfast this morning, but I did try one of the cakes. And I have to say, it was brilliant. And it's certainly woken me up. So thank you, Guy, they're absolutely wonderful. Um, so today, we are now moving into our kind of third section of the book of Mark. Mark is kind of split up. Scholars would say they kind of split up into three kind of sections. The first section is chapters one to eight, um, where it's, make sure I'd Make sure I get my notes in the right order this time from last week. Um, uh, the, first, the first few, um, hopefully I've got it. I have got it. Brilliant. Sorted. Um, the first section is where Jesus is in the region of Galilee. Um, and he's performing all these miracles. He's healing people. And so Mark's showing us that Jesus is someone special. He has authority over evil spirits. He has authority to teach like no other. He has authority over death. He has authority even to forgive sins. He's showing us that Jesus is the Son of God. And in the last few chapters, up to the end of chapter 10, we've been looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to really truly follow him, to take up our cross and follow him? What does that mean? Jesus shows his disciples that it's going to be costly for them to follow him. For us, it's going to be costly to follow Jesus. But it's the best life that you can ever have. He's also showing in that section that, that what it means to be a servant to all. Jesus Christ, the servant king, the humble servant king, wants his disciples to follow the same suit. Put others first. Be the least. Humble yourselves. And then this final section of Mark that will, that will take us up to Easter is where we see the final act. Jesus, en route to Jerusalem, coming on the donkey, the triumphal entry today that leads him to the cross and then his resurrection. And we're on the triumphal entry today. That's the first section of our passage today, the first 10 verses. I'm not going to speak very much on this at all other than to say that the triumphal entry was an entry for um, when the kings that had defeated their enemies, that the people would give them this rousing triumphal entry when they came and entered the city again. They would sing songs they would cry out. They would put palm branches on the floor. The king would come in on a white horse with a large procession. And the crowd would go wild. And then what does Jesus do? He comes in, not on a white horse, but on a donkey. His job was not to give them victory over Rome, but his job was to give them victory over sin, which he does. But today, I want us to focus on the next section, verses 11 to 25. So do keep your Bibles open if you've got them. <clears throat> Where there's this odd story of a fig tree. And in the middle of that sandwich, in the middle of that story, is a story about Jesus cleansing the temple. And so there's an important link here that I think is really crucial for us today to understand as a church. I'm really excited about what God's word has got for us today. So I'm just going to pause and pray for us as we get into this now. Father God, oh Lord, we thank you that your word is true today, that it speaks today, that it is mighty to save. Lord, I pray that even through this time, Lord, as, as, as your word is preached, I pray that it would go out and, be, and fall onto hearts that are willing to hear and ears that are willing to change. Lord, I pray that for myself. I pray that I would not be stubborn in any way, but would listen to what you have for me today. Well, thank you that, um, that 
we have the privilege of being able to hear truth spoken. Lord, I pray that it will give us life. It will give us fullness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I think on page 1015, so keep your... Please do keep your Bibles open, but also the verses will be on the screen as well, just to make sure that I'm telling you what is actually in the Bible. Well, first of all, we see in verse 11 that Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He goes into the temple courts. He has a look around at everything. But since it was already late, he goes back out to Bethany with the 12, with the disciples. He goes about a mile outside um, Jerusalem. He sees in the distance a fig tree and leaf, and he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for fruit. So Jesus looks at this fig tree. He's like, he's hungry. He wants some food. And sure enough, he looks at it, and it's got leaf on it, but there's no fruit. The leaf comes first. The fruit is surely going to come, but it's not actually producing any fruit. It's showing the promise of producing fruit, and yet that promise is not being kept. The tree is not producing what it's supposed to be producing. And what we see is in the Old Testament, um, a fig tree is used quite a lot in the Old Testament. We see in the book of Hosea, there's a parallel story to what Jesus tells here. Basically, Israel is compared to a fig tree that is in leaf. And if it's producing fruit, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And when it's not producing fruit, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And in Hosea, a parallel story to this, in Hosea's case, Israel were dabbling in cultic worship in Canaan. They were worshiping other gods in another place. And that's the link here. While Jesus cleanses the temple, because God's house, the temple, is not producing what it should either. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. There is no true worship of God going on there. So Jesus comes to pass judgment on the fruitless fig tree for not doing what it's supposed to be, and he does the same for the religious leaders in the temple, not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Look at this in verse... 14, then he said to the tree, then um, he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And then in verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. The house of God has become a business. Tables of money changers is where pilgrims come to change their currency to pay taxes to Caesar. They're purchasing pigeons, lions, doves, oil, salts to produce um, for the various sin and thanksgiving sacrifices they were due to give. And business was going on there. This is the house of God. The temple. And he's not a happy man, is he? Just as it was 600 years earlier during the time of Jeremiah, which he quotes here, a den of robbers. That was happening 600 years ago. Violent thieves were preying on others in the temple. Israel's leaders were guilty of letting it happen. This is the divine response to Israel's worshipping of another God. It's severe judgment for this dysfunctional community of God. Israel were God's community. And they were exploiting that, exploiting the people of Israel, exploiting the temple. So Jesus comes and purifies it by driving everything out. 
showing just how dysfunctional the temple had become. What he's pointing to, what he's pointing to is the new temple to come. Jesus is the new temple. See that in chapter 12. He is the builder, that the, the, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of the new temple. He is the focus and the foundation of our faith, of what Israel should be worshipping. He is going to be the new temple. It's not based on sacrifice. It's not based on bringing an animal and killing it and burning it that could, that could placate God in some way. That was temporal. Jesus has come as the new temple, and he's brought in a new community. Millions of temples, those that all have faith, all of us here that have faith in Jesus are a new temple. We are a new temple because we are a house of the living God. Look at this, it says in 1 Corinthians verses three to, uh, 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 chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves, see if I've got it on here. Um, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? We are a new community. We are the new community founded on Jesus, his church, not based on a building, not based on geography, but based on who we are and who we love. If you love Jesus today, you are a new temple. Turn to the person next to you and tell them they are a new temple. Isn't that brilliant? This is a seismic shift. This is Jesus bringing an end to the old covenant that's based on sacrifice. He is going to be the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb that will, be burnt, that will be killed in our place, bringing in a new covenant that we can be a new community. I think we just need to pause for a moment. And, I, and some of us, we, we've heard this maybe for years and we know this. But this is, this is huge. We are a temple of the living God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are his new community made for a purpose. Made for a purpose. To be a house of prayer for the nation. How good is that? The temple is to be the new temple for us. We are to be a house of prayer for the nations, for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. Everybody. But there is a warning here for us, for his new community as well. If you have a look in verse 19 and verse 20 and 21, which I think should be on the screen now, it says, When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. It's lost its potency. It's lost its vitality because it's rootless. Fruit cannot, I'm no horticulturist, is that the right word? No gardener. <clears throat> but something doesn't have a root, it isn't going to grow and it's not going to produce fruit, is it? I'm pretty sure that that's... Thank you. That's, thank you very much. Thank you, Sue. That's true. Good. Um, and so being rootless means no fruit can come. And so I think there's a warning for us. Even as his, 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 new, um, his new people, his new temple, we can become rootless. If we become rootless, if we're not founded on Christ, we will become dysfunctional and functionless like the temple. We have to be careful. Yesterday, um, the other day when I was preparing for this, I was on the internet looking at Google for like dysfunctional churches. What makes a dysfunctional church? <clears throat> and the thing that comes up straight away was 
this well-known um, church group that are across the world, millions of people that go to them. And it was the expose on how it's kind of the downfall of it. And they've made a film out of it. It's on Netflix. It's been watched millions of times by people. This is big. I'm not going to have a look at it yourself if you like. But, but it was a church. It is a church that pays its pastors millions of pounds, that manipulate people to give money. Some of them do, not all the churches, but some of them do in this certain church. They put on a show. There have been workers that have made sexual advances to their members of congregation. Coercive behavior. The sad thing, I could go on and on, but it's a church that from the outside looks like it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And yet the fruit of it is people being hurt, people leaving the church, being run poorly, promising so much, but truly not delivering what it's supposed to be doing. And so I think there's a warning for us. We may be a small church here in Erdington, but we want to be one that's founded on Christ, that has fruit that grows from us, that we're a healthy church, and we see um, fruit in ourselves, that we become uh, more like Christ in the fruits of the Spirit that Andy was sharing earlier. We want to grow, don't we? We want to be fruitful. We want to see people come to faith. And so I think there's two things in this passage that are really helpful for us, that it's God's new community that we're to be characterized by. So two things. Firstly, God's new community is to be characterized by prayer founded on faith. We can't get away from this. We must be characterized by prayer founded um, on faith. Uh, Verse 22 with me. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says uh, says this to a mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. These are pretty emphatic words, aren't they? These are pretty strong words. He's saying, have no doubt, but ask God in prayer. Have no doubt, but ask God in prayer. And even this mountain will be moved, thrown into the sea. And I think this is hyperbole again hyperbole, as I like to call it, um, an exaggeration that Jesus is using, but it represents what appears to be impossible, what appears to be immovable, beyond any finite ability, because this is where faith begins, where we can't act, where we can't do it, God does it. Believing in faith taps into God's power to accomplish his plans. Let me say that again. Believing in faith taps into God's power to accomplish his plans. So when we pray, we're speaking to God, we're asking him to do what he's already promised to do. What we're doing, we're asking him to do what he has already promised that he will do. What do we pray for? Everything, what what can I actually pray for? Because we know we've got to pray in his will, Sometimes we're not sure what is his will, but what do we know from the Bible that we can pray into and know that God's promises already that he will answer? Pray for daily forgiveness. For for daily forgives forgiveness. There we go. I don't know what that means, but pray for daily forgiveness. We know that he wants us to come to him, bring bring before him what we've done wrong, and delight in being forgiven. We are able to pray. We know we can pray for more faith. Give me more faith. I'm doubting in this area, God. Give me more faith. He will give us more faith. 
We can pray for wisdom and knowledge. We pray for our daily strength to obey his commands. I need your help, Lord, today. Please help me obey you in this area in my life. We know that he promises that he wants us to make us more like his son, Jesus. We can pray for the good news to spread. Pray for the good news of Jesus to go out there. We want that, his kingdom to come. We want his kingdom to grow, don't we? We can pray and bring our present needs to him that in his timing, he will do what he will do for his glory and for our good. Trusting enough that we come to him even with our needs, and this is probably the one that we probably struggle the most with, I know I do, is coming to him in our need and being willing to say, even if you turn me down, if that's right, God, turn me down. Turn that request down if it's not in your will. We may receive answers that we don't want to hear. We may find things that we're not looking for, and we may have doors open to us and shut to us that we weren't expecting. But true and believing prayer is not attempting to ask God to change his will but to, and to fit into our, pli- our plans, but it is a passionate pursuit to see God's plans accomplished in us. That's what it is. It's a passionate pursuit to see God's plan accomplished in us, not a genie in a bottle that we're conjuring up is obligated to grant us our every desire and every wish, but a passionate pursuit to see God's plans accomplished in us. What a prayer. Lord, have your way with me. Achieve what you want to achieve in me and in my life. But why then is it so hard to pray? I was going to say, hands up if anyone finds it hard to pray, but I'm just going to assume that at different times, people find it hard to pray. Why is it so hard to pray? Why do we find it so tough? I was thinking about this, but I think that, that, that praying in faith is saying, I trust you, and so I'm going to come and ask you to do what I can't do. Pretty humbling, isn't it? Come to God and say, look, I can't do this. I need you to act. Because then it's so much quicker to try and sort stuff out ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm definitely someone that likes to sort things out. My first portal call is not necessarily always to pray, which it should be. I'm just confessing that as your pastor. Sometimes it's just to sort the problem out and to sort it out. It's got this element of control that is within our control. But prayer is saying, look, I'm not in control, and I've got to relinquish over my control to you and look outside myself and say, God, I can't do this, but you can. I can't, but you can. I was also thinking about this, that this, this, um, the way that Jesus, uh, Mark, tells his story is that, as we say, it's the fig tree, and then there's the cleansing of the temple in, in between. There's something about us as humans naturally wanting to go back to temple worship, to sacrifice, us <clears throat> making ourselves right in some way before God and justifying ourselves then for him to answer our prayers. If I just do this, you'll answer my prayer. If I offer this sacrifice, if I just do a bit more, if I just work a bit harder... And so I'm tempted sometimes to automatically go back to the temple worship rather than praying in faith for God to work. Just confessing that. So pray for me in that, please. And in our Western culture, I think it's just something about us wanting to control things. We have so much within our control that when something isn't within our control, we don't like it and we struggle with it, don't we? Well, <clears throat> a few examples of what was going through my heart as I was 
writing this. And I was just thinking, oh man, we, we've not seen people baptized recently. I must work harder and I must share the gospel more. It may not be a bad thing to share the gospel more, it's not at all, but what about if I was to say, God, I know it's your will for many to come to know you. Lord, how can I move forward to someone, put someone in my life that I can move forward towards and share the gospel with and pray faith with that you would save them? Might be a better way. Oh man, the church finances um, are, we, we could do with more finances, Lord. Maybe I could go and contact some more churches and see if they can help support. Or could it be, I could just say, God, you've always provided for us. I pray in faith that your power is so infinitely more than anything I could do with my own hands. And I trust that you will provide for us. I'll keep trusting and I'll keep praying. And we as a church will keep committing to praying for this. And we'll see your hand at work, Lord. Even with the betting office next door. So, oh man, there's a betting office that might be put next door. Let's get as many people as possible to sign a petition. That's going to work. Well, how about... Let's just stop and pray for an hour a week outside that building and lay our hands on that building and say, Lord, your will be done here. But we pray that the poor and the oppressed would not be, um, would, yeah, the, the poor and oppressed would not be um, taken advantage of in our community. Wouldn't it be so much more powerful, so much more faith building if we were to stop and we were to pray for these things? Trust that these things are out of our control. The Lord can work and he will work in these things. Maybe not exactly how we've planned, but his will will be done. We can trust in that. Andrew Murray says this. Uh, He's a, a, a Christian writer, says this. Christ actually meant prayer to be the great power by which his church should do its work. And the neglect of prayer is the great reason the church has not greater power over the masses in Christian and heathen countries. Stop and pray. Stop and pray. Our greatest power is prayer. I just want to encourage us, maybe just to reflect on this for a moment. What does our prayer life look like? Not in a way that's judgmental, but in a way that's like, how can I move my prayer life forward? How can I be more expectant of God to work, as well as holding things loosely and not demanding things from God, not name it and claim it, but Lord, your will be done. But do we pray for those things? It's interesting, um, I may have told this before, but about six months ago, um, a friend was telling me that they went to a church planters um, conference that was... Um, and there was an, an, a, a gentleman from Nigeria that had planted dozens upon dozens upon dozens of churches across Africa. And a question was asked of him, so what stra- what's your strategy in planting churches? Because our one is, in this country, is to find somewhere that's not got a particularly good gospel presence, and then we'll, we'll get a team, we'll move them in there, we'll try and raise the finances for them, and all this sort of thing. And he just looked blankly at this group of people in shock. And he just said, we pray. And then we pray some more. And then God does it. That was literally his answer. And he was shocked that our strategy is not that. <laughs> um, and so just to encourage us that God is able to do so much more than maybe we even think or imagine. 
And again, this is not name it and claim it, but this is have praying faith. Faith that can move mountains. Faith that can do the impossible is where these things are out of our control. And God, he is able to do far more abundantly than we ever can think. So I don't know about you, but I want to be a community that is founded on and passionate about faith, uh, pray, um, praying in faith. I wasn't going to share this, but I think I will share this. Hopefully it's encouraging. Um, the reason I'm going to this is because I saw it on Instagram, which I'm not on very often, but this came up. So, I'm just going to read this to you, if I can find it. It's awkward now, I can't find it. <laughs> um, it's worth it. I promise you this is worth it. I built this up now, so it better be worth it. Um, some of you may be aware of a gentleman called Peter, uh, Pete Craig, who's the, move, uh, the guy who heads up the 24-7 prayer movement. And every so often, he, he posts something on Instagram... Um, and the one a couple of days ago was about David Wilkins, uh, Wilkerson, who some of you may have heard of. So I'm just going to read this out to you. It says, on this day in 1958, a provincial pastor called David Wilkerson made a simple decision that changed the world. Trading passive screen time for intentional prayer time, he decided to spend his evening seeking God. A couple of weeks later, as he was sitting there in prayer, David picked up a copy of Life magazine began flicking through its pages absentmindedly. A picture of seven gang members on trial in New York um, for the brutal killing of a 15-year-old polio victim moved David in ways that he couldn't explain. He found himself weeping over those lost souls and sensed the spirit whispering four words, go help those boys. It was a defining moment of David Wilkerson's life. David had never before been to New York City, but within three days he was there seeking to intervene in the very trial he'd been reading about in Life, in Life magazine. He was kicked out of the courthouse for his troubles and photographed by a journalist looking for a new spin on the sensational case. Still burdened for the city's gangsters, David began seeking them out until eventually he met a, a young Puerto Rican named Nicky Cruz, leader of one of the wildest and most dangerous gangs, the Mau, the Mau Maus. With a switchblade in hand, Nicky threatened to kill the young preacher, but David looked him in the eye and famously replied, you could cut me into a thousand pieces and every piece of me would cry out what, that God loves you. Speaking at, his, at Wilkerson's funeral many years later in 2011, Nicky Cruz said, I've come to say goodbye to my spiritual father. I've told people for years that if it weren't for David, I'd be in a pit of hell today. Wilkerson's autobiography, The Cross and the Switchblade, has sold 50 million copies where he translated it into 30 languages and was even being adapted into a film. Um, Wilkerson also founded a, the, the Teen Challenge, which helps 24,000 young people every single day to get free from their addictions in over 1,000 centres across 80 nations. God turned David Wilkerson from a provincial pastor into a world changer, firstly because he prioritised prayer, and secondly because he heard the Holy Spirit saying, go and help those boys. There we go. So, a bit of a long story, um, but prayer. What stuck out to me from that, obviously the ending is amazing, isn't it? But oh, spending his evenings in prayer, rather than watching Netflix, I haven't got Netflix Prime, um, rather than 
doing all those things that you could be doing in the evening. He just spent an e- each evening in prayer seeking the Lord to ask him what he should be doing. And he was moved to go and do it. So, um, all that being said, what I'd like us to do now, I've just got a little bit more in a moment, but first of all, I'd like us to pause um, and I'd like us to spend some time in prayer. We're talking about prayer, so I think it'd be good if we were to do this. And so, thank you to Andy, who's planned this, but I may as well do it while I'm up here. Um, so I'd like us to spend some time in prayer. First of all, um, on our own, just a few moments of individual prayer for ourselves to bring our personal need to God. We looked at this last week, didn't we? Blind Bartimaeus, where he brought his needs, he cried out to God with his needs. Let us cry out in our need to God. And so we're just going to have some music on in the background, very quietly, ask us to bow our heads, and just to spend some time praying for our own personal needs and bring them before the Lord God. Not in a way that's a genie in a bottle that he's going to solve and um, um, answer everything the way we want it, but in a way that our hands are, um, our palms are up, we're not clenching out, saying, Lord, these are my needs. Can you please work in these areas? So let's just spend a few moments doing that, and then we'll move on to the next bit, next section.
Thank you that you care for our personal needs. And you delight in us bringing them to you, offering them up to you, Lord. Pray in your will. Pray that you would help shift our will to be closer to yours, Lord, as we pray. Amen. Well, secondly, I'd love us to maybe pair off, if we can, around tables for this. And um, we'd love, love you to pray in pairs just for the people that are on your heart. Like, we call them your oikos list. Um, like, the one or two people that you are kind of intentionally or wanting to intentionally be on mission to um, for Jesus. And so maybe just bring their names and just spend a few moments um, praying um, together for those people that the Lord would work in their lives.
Father, we thank you for those 30 or more names that have been um, prayed for and committed to you. And we do pray that we would see fruits from our prayers, that we would hear of people coming to know you. Lord, let us continue to be faithful in prayer, that you would move the mountain in their lives, Lord, of the, the block, the, the spiritual blindness that is blocking them from being able to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. And then finally, what I'd like us to do together corporately um, is to a time of prayer for the things that are on the board here. Um, these are some of our ministries. We have our gospel community groups that meet in a week. Pray for more leaders. Pray for new gospel communities to start. We're great that we've got lots of new people here, and we'd love you all to be part of a gospel community. So please be praying for that. For our Sunday gatherings, that we would have a sweet time, that we would really engage with, with the Lord the cafe to continue to flourish, um, for Mum's Meet, um, for Christianity Explored, for the people that are coming to that, that we'd see people saved and people encouraged, for our community nights, for, that we'd be a people of prayer, of word and unity, and pray for the high street. Yes, on Friday night, you may be aware that there was um, an attack that happened outside, just outside here, um, and the police had, had it cornered off for, for most of yesterday as well, where there's someone fighting for their life um, in the hospital because of being beaten up. So do pray for that. Pray for the safety of people on this high street. Just pray for the community itself around here. And also for next door, the building next door that you can see on there, which was HSBC, could be a betting office. Let's faithfully pray that the Lord would put something in there that is good for this community. So let's just have a time of prayer now. I'd invite you, if you can, let's stand as we pray. And let's just spend the next five minutes just offering up prayer about those things.
Father, and we pray for this building next door, Lord, that um, we pray that it would be a place that is used for the good of this city, Lord, that it's the good of this community. We pray that, um, that you would work a miracle and find something that would just utilize that space in a way that is healthy and good for the businesses, for the community, for the people that are oppressed within our community, Lord. We pray it would be a place of refuge and help for them rather than something that suppresses them further. Lord, we pray expectantly that you would work in this. We pray in all the prayers that we prayed, Lord, that we would just be, um, we relinquish our control and put our trust in you, the one that can do far more than we can ever imagine. So, Lord, I pray that we would um, grow our faith as we step out in faith to pray faithfully for this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat, guys. And just to, um, before we move into a time of communion, um, also just want to say on that last point is that I'd love us, um, I would love our prayer evenings to be the most attended thing that we do, which is the third Sunday of every month, which is next Sunday night. Love it. If we, if we are able to, that would be something that grows to be our most attended thing because we, we, faith, we truly believe that prayer is at the center of everything that we do. Um, so first of all, God's new community is to be characterized by prayer founded on faith. And then finally, God's new community is to be characterized by prayer founded on mutual forgiveness. And just really quickly, really quickly here. Um, we see here that in verse 25, when you stand praying, if anyone holds anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. We can forgive others because we have first been forgiven through the payment paid by Jesus' death on the cross. Forgiveness has come freely to us, and so freely we are to give it. But it's hard, isn't it, for us to be a community that is fruitful, to be functioning well. We need to be a church and a people that receive forgiveness and give it freely. I ask a very, very <laughs> challenging question. Are you a barren fig tree? I ask myself this week, am I a barren fig tree? Am I able to forgive those that have wronged me or I feel have wronged me? Am I willing to be vulnerable and admit these things? Something that struck me a, few, a couple of months ago now was um, doing a church service um, Nikki came up to me to say oh, she wanted to speak to the church to apologize about something she'd said in front of everybody. Me, being very British, thought, no, don't need to do that. Um, don't do that. Felt a bit awkward about it. Said, oh, I'd like to speak to Andy. He's leading the gathering. Do you mind if I ask him? I said, no, go and ask him. And Andy was like, that's what the Lord's put on your heart. Feel free to share it. So she apologized in front of the whole church for something that she'd said. And people afterwards came up to say how liberating it was to experience that within a church gathering. Now, so I'm not saying, wow, look at Nick. I'm not trying to say that at all. What I'm trying to say is that we want to be a community that are able to um, ask for forgiveness from God, ask forgiveness from one another if it's needed, because it's what we're called to do. Enjoy that we're forgiven, but also forgive others and be willing and vulnerable to do that before one another. So, and we're going to come to communion in a moment. I think Andy's going to lead us um, through that time. But I just wanted to read these words from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink, uh, uh, eat of the bread, and drink of the cup. So, if there's any unconfessed sin, first of all, before you and God, this is where we get to confess our sins, ask for forgiveness, and know that we are forgiven. But we need to do that before we come to the table. Let's take it seriously. We confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us all of our unrighteousness. But also, there's something here about um, approaching the table where if we have any form of um, unforgiveness towards a brother or sister, then we are to release that. Maybe it means going to a brother or sister and asking for forgiveness, or maybe, most likely, forgiveness in our heart towards somebody. They, maybe the person even know about it. Maybe they don't need to know about it. Maybe we just need to release it. And so I'll just ask us, as the music, uh, we're going to sing a couple of songs. Um, sorry, is that right? I said you were going to lead it. I'm just jumping in. Sorry. Um, but let's spend, let's spend a few moments. As maybe Amy just plays a little bit of background music. Let's confess um, our sins before the Lord, knowing that nothing is unforgivable. Nothing is unforgivable.